0: Steph Caswell helps coaches and consultants to write their first book, giving them the confidence and skills to share their knowledge in a way their readers will love. So I'm so excited to have Steph on the podcast today. Um, we've already had a few authors on here talking about their fiction books. Um, Steph specialises in non-fiction and about helping service-based businesses um, write their first book. So I'm, I am thinking this is going to be a really interesting episode and I'm so pleased to have you. So welcome, Steph.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Um, could you start by just giving us introduction to yourself and your business and what you do, please?
1: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm i Steph and I run um, Creating Happy Writers, which is a brand, a business that uh, works with, like you said, coaches and consultants uh, primarily to help them write their first book. Um, I've written five books, um, all of which are nonfiction. Um, so I wanted to put my expertise into helping other people achieve the same thing. Because I think lots of people feel like they've got a book inside them um, and they're just unsure how to go about putting one together. So I thought I'd put my expertise in, uh, in all of that into helping others to do the same. Oh, that sounds
0: fantastic. Thank you. And I, I was saying to you just before we started recording that yeah, I've started to feel in the last couple of months that maybe I do have a book inside me. But as you say, it's just so daunting to think about creating a, a book. And as you know, this podcast is about sort of creating products. And, but books is one we haven't really touched on. And I think it's one that a lot of people, myself included, are a bit scared of because there's just so much like like anything, there's so much unknown unless you've done it. So I'm really excited to dive in and ask you lots of questions. Yeah. Um, so let's start. If it's okay, Steph, with um, why do you think writing a, a book is a is a good idea for 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 um, consultants and coaches and other service businesses? Why why is it something that they might consider doing in the first place?
1: I think it's an opportunity to show your expertise in an area that you feel comfortable with. Um, I think it's something that people only try to do once they've been going for a little while, once they've really established their audience, their niche. Um, I used to be a teacher and I wrote three of my books were for teachers and I wrote them sort of 10 years into my teaching career. And I found that at that point I had quite a lot of knowledge to share and I wanted to do it in a way that people could learn from but also for me my style is to be a bit witty um a bit I don't know just to try and put the fun back into into teaching Uh, so I I thought actually why not put the two together and um yeah I I wrote those books from that perspective and I think now that I am a coach I can understand when you've got a niche and you want to reach people um, having a book not only gives you that sense of a, an authority in your area of expertise, people will look to you and think, oh, okay, gosh, they have a lot of knowledge around a particular subject, but it also gives you the chance to kind of share in a way that other people might not feel that they can do, and writing a book is a real achievement in itself because it's, like you saying saying, it's, it's quite a daunting process, and I think it's something that a lot of people want to do but they're not sure how to and when they do end up writing it and they do put it out there they then feel such a sense of accomplishment and i think that drives me to do what i do because i really want people to succeed in something they've maybe thought that they wouldn't be able to do before so i think it's really really valuable for coaches and consultants to be able to show showcase what they know
0: Thank you. And so do you think that someone has to have been doing whatever it is that they're doing for a couple of years before they even think about writing their book? Or is it something you could do, you know, when you've been going for, you know, you've set your business up six months ago. Um, What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it's down to confidence levels. Um, I would say I wrote two, I ghost wrote two books for an Australian publisher uh, on more of a personal development vibe and that wasn't an area that I was um, doing a business in, it was just an area of personal interest and um, they approached me to write uh, about kind of mindset and that sort of thing and so not necessarily, I just think the thing with publishing these days is even if you self-publish, you need to have an established audience who are going to want to read what you put out there um, if you want to be traditionally published via, you know, a, a publishing house, it's one of those things where they now look to see, do you have an audience that uh, already in, established so that you, they know that you've got some people who are going to buy it, essentially, because sadly, it comes down to whether it's marketable, whether it's worth buying from their perspective. So either way, I think it's easier to do if you have an audience, it's easier to do because you probably know them really well. Um, Like I knew uh, teachers really well. So I was able to empathise with them quite easily. I knew things that they commonly found difficult. So I felt that actually, that audience was there already. um, And I used to um, do a podcast myself for teachers. So again, I had listeners and things like that. So It's one of those things that it comes down to confidence at the end of the day. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't if you're new to your business. I just think for ease, it's probably worth waiting, maybe even a year. If you've built up um, a bit of a following and you've got, uh, you know, consistent uh, clients and people like that who are interested in what you're saying, then for sure um, you can do that.
0: And we'll talk about all of the steps you need to go through Mm -hmm. a little bit later. But I'm assuming as well that there's nothing to say you can't start thinking about your book, preparing to write your book, writing your book, um, whenever you like, really? Because, oh. I, I mean, something that I, I don't know is how long... You, I mean, you're probably going to say how long's a piece of string, but how long does it take to sort of ha- have a completed published book, whether that's self-published or otherwise?
1: Um, it's very dependent on you as a, um, as a person, how committed you are to the process. I think there are easier ways to kind of map out Um, how long that process will take. So for example, I often share with people that if you give yourself a self-imposed deadline, so say for example, you want to get your first draft done, um, and say for example, in 10 weeks, and that sounds quite daunting, but actually, it works to give yourself that deadline because otherwise, it can be one of these projects that you think, "Oh, I'll get to it one day. I'll get to it one day," or "I'll." You start it and then you think, "I'll finish it one day." If you give yourself that self-imposed deadline, um, it can just really help you to start the process. So, say for example, you wanted to do most non-fiction um, books are, I'd say, on average, fifty thousand words. Uh, my my three for teachers were roughly thirty thousand words. So if you're self-publishing, it really doesn't matter what the length is, as long as um, you know you're putting in good quality content. If you're going down the traditional route, they say sort of fifty to seventy-five thousand words is kind of where the average is. So say for example, you were me writing that thirty thousand word book, and I knew that I wanted to get the first draft done in ten weeks' time. That means I need to to write three thousand words a week. And then what I do is I then break that down into how how much I need to write per day Um, and so it just makes the whole thing less daunting because you've given yourself a deadline and you're breaking it down into manageable chunks and anybody knows that if you're trying to achieve a goal you know breaking that down is such a key factor Um, so I think that's that's what to to bear in mind it's what you can manage for starters um, what your you know your current schedule's like whether you know you can fit in writing a book because to write it, you really need to dedicate time to it probably on a daily basis, even if you're only writing 500 words a day. It's just keeping that consistency up. So I would say probably uh, if you're going down self-publishing, you could self-publish your book within six months um, if you had a real sort of focus on it for a sustained period of time. If you go down the traditional route, um from concept to shelf they say it's about 18 months to two years um so it's not as quick as self-publishing some people use their book as part of their sales funnel which is again they kind of do an ebook a pdf kind of um idea and again that's just based on how much time you can give to it um, in any one day or month etc so it is unfortunately a little bit like how long is a piece of string but it's like it's your string and you can determine the length of it i guess
0: that's really helpful thank you and I completely agree that giving yourself deadlines just just helps just get anything to get anything done or oh, it just becomes one of those things it's just always on your to do one day list and that one day never comes so before I ask a few more questions about of the, the process so you've written three books for teachers Steph what are the other books that you've written I'm just really interested
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, I was uh, I approached a uh, I pitched actually to a, an Australian publisher for a ghostwriting contract. Um, and it was about mindset. I, I i can't obviously say exactly what it was because it's published under someone else's name because I ghostwrote it. But um, it talked a lot about um, taking responsibility for your life. And I am a massive reader. I've always read a lot around personal development and growth. And um, I thought, you know what, I've got so much knowledge from my own learning and my own experience of life in terms of changing career and having to, you know, all that, all that that goes with it, but also um, just from my enjoyment of reading for the last 10 years. So I I pitched to them and they they took me up on it. So there was one on, um, as I say, taking responsibility and then another one which they approached me to write, which is about um, relationships um, with not with just general people, it was relationships with um, your spouse or your partner. And it was just, okay. um, yeah, which was slightly less in my comfort zone, um, but I had to do a bit of research on that one. But again, that went out to to them about two years ago. So, yeah. Well,
0: that's really interesting. And so what I guess what... what I, Oh, I'll, I'll just ask a question that I wondered: Is have you had any sort of formal sort of writing? When I say formal writing experience, because okay, where I'm coming from is, I think that something that might possibly hold people back or trip people up is they say, "Well, I'm not a writer. I've never been a writer. I've never been trained how to write. Um, I don't know. My spelling's not good. My grammar's not good." I'm not saying any of those things apply to you or did apply to you, Steph. But so where you? Um, so it sounds like you were teaching when you wrote your first books. So did you have any background in? In sort of, in I mean, in obviously, you wrote as a teacher. Um, hopefully, you know what I'm getting at. Did you have any sort of formal training in how to write? I guess is the question.
1: No, um, I nothing formal. I think when I first started thinking about writing um, a book, I sort of did what everybody does and goes online and tries to find out lots of information about how to do that, how to structure it, and I read quite a few books uh, about the process, I guess. I've been writing um, fiction for longer. So I'm currently writing a children's book. um, And so I've always been writing in one way or another. Um, I've had blogs before um, and things like that. So writing really is a comfortable thing for me. And I know that that isn't necessarily the case. Like you said, for some people, it's actually quite um, daunting to think about well maybe you have kind of those feelings from school and I, I spoke to somebody recently who was saying to me I was always told that I wasn't very good at writing at school and and she kind of taken that with her into adulthood and that was, was putting her off writing her book that she wanted to write and I think that's a very sad that our education system uh, can do that but also um, I think that actually you can learn how to do it there is a process There are skills, um, like you say, punctuation, grammar, um, and things like that, but that's what an editor's for. And I think that's what people should remember is actually writing it is one thing. And I always think of them as two separate things, two separate hats, if you like. So writing a first draft is one thing. Um, It's a process, you just have to get it done because you can't edit a blank page, um, which is a famous writing quote. So as long as you've got something, you can then polish it and shape it and make it excellent. But you can't do that until you have that. And normally they're sort of pretty rubbish. Every first draft is is horrendous. You know, when I look back on some of my first drafts of anything I've done and, you know, you just think, good Lord, what was I uh, I thinking? So it's almost like you have to have the thing in its roughest sense to then polish it up. And I'm an advocate of finding a professional editor. Um, I've worked with freelance editors on on my books because I self-published the first three and I hired an editor because I knew that I wanted it to go out and appear to be traditionally published I, I wanted it to have the same quality as if it had gone through a publishing house where you've got editors you've got structural editors you've got line editors all these people that do and proofreaders etc so I had uh, I hired an editor and I um, and then I had it proofread as well so you shouldn't shy away from it because you're worried about things like that. And actually, I think you should just embrace the journey. And it sucks sometimes, you know, it's one of those things when you're a creative person, you know, it's hard to, to almost allow yourself to, to suck at something. But if you do, you can then polish it and shine it and shape it um, at the other end of the of the experience.
0: Well thank you so much for that and I think I I really botched how I asked the question but I think I was I was basically just trying to dispel the myth that you have to you know have gone to uni and studied English or had some kind of background in copywriting or whatever to actually write something because I'm with you on that you can you can write a book and call yourself a writer and it doesn't matter whether you know you can you can do that you can choose to do that and I am completely with you as well it sounds like you just need to get some words on the page Mm, and um and take it from there and that's and I imagine that's probably the hardest thing um getting started so I guess while we're on on the subject of things that perhaps people struggle with, what are some of the things that you hear that maybe you either stop people from even starting their book, or perhaps you know trip them up halfway through, prevent them from finishing? What are some of the, the common things that that you hear about, and, and what can we do to get over them?
1: I think the biggest thing, as with um, a lot of things in life, is mindset. People are battling with that inner critic, that inner voice, who when they sit down to write, they You know, that that inner critic's on the shoulder and it's saying, who's going to read your work? Um, You don't have enough knowledge. Um, You know, what if it what if it's awful? What if you get terrible reviews? And and that's a voice that I would say all the people that I work with and myself um, have to battle with listening to. And um, Elizabeth Gilbert is is um, a great writer and she wrote a, a book called Big Magic, which is an excellent book if you are somebody who battles with your inner demon and your creativity. But she was on a podcast and she was saying, you know, what she does is she accepts the fact that this inner critic is going to come along for the journey. And she said, they can sit in the back seat, but they're not allowed to tell you the route. They're not allowed to comment on your... Driving, if you like, you know, you're writing—they can come along because you've got to embrace the fact that they will just be there anyway. You can't silence your inner critic because it's just part of who you are, unfortunately. So it's about almost saying to them, "Okay, you can come, but you need to shush. I'm not listening to you." I, I, you know, and it's—it's it's that constant battle, really, that I think a lot of people um, struggle with, and it can put them off even starting, just because every time they sit down to start, they think, you know. This is this is silly. What a silly idea. Who who thinks I can write a book? Um, I guess the other thing people commonly struggle with is how to structure it, how to put a book together when you have a wealth of ideas and knowledge. How can you almost sculpt it into something that is um, a journey? And I always talk about the reader's journey and the reader has to go on a journey when they read your book. And as an author and as a coach and you have to know where your reader is at the start and you almost have to hold their hand through the book. And at the end of it, you need to think, where do I want that person to be by the end of it? How do I want them to be feeling? What do I want them to have learned? What do I want them to take away from it and do? So it's it's worth thinking about it in terms of starting with your reader in mind. And Stephen Covey always says about start with the end in mind. So always think about where do you want them to How do you want them to feel? Um, And another way to battle that, I suppose, is also to think, just write for one person. When you're writing your book, write to... Some people do ideal client work when when they set up a business, a service business. And it's almost like, think about your ideal client. Who are they? And they often become your ideal reader. And then just write to them. So rather than thinking, oh my gosh, this book could be read by hundreds of people, thousands of people, don't put that pressure on yourself. Just think, okay, I'm gonna to write to this one person. And if I can change one person's life, the better by what I'm putting out there, um, that can help with the battle of just getting started. And essentially you just have to write. I know it sounds such trivial thing to say and I don't mean it to sound trivial, but what I tend to do is I put a timer on my phone for half an hour or whatever, and I will just set the timer and I just go. And I know that a lot of what I'm writing isn't going to get in, be in the final draft. But like I said, unless you have something to work with, that final draft won't happen. So put a timer on, just set yourself half an hour and just type, type, type. And if you're not sure of something, I just write XXX. If I don't know, I don't think oh I I don't know how to word that I don't know as long as I get the general gist if I can't think of the right word or I can't find the right quote or I just put three x's and I know that I can come back to it when I'm editing and sort that out so it's just about releasing some of that pressure you put on yourself.
0: That's really good advice thank you um, and I was going to ask about some of the things that might trip you up as we go but maybe maybe the best way to approach it would be to talk about sort of from the beginning you know how you go through the process and then I'm sure that will lead to some more questions so maybe we could start with how do you even choose the topic for your book um, because I think some of us can actually struggle even to define like a niche you know as a coach or consultant or any kind of service business plenty of us sort of do different things or um have varied customers how do you even know what to write about
1: I think the place to start is definitely with your first book is an area that you feel comfortable and confident to write about I think if it's uh, an area that you um you coach regularly in then all the better. But sometimes actually, you know, working with a client or working with, you know, a group of people can get an idea flowing in your mind for a book. Um, So I think that the, the way to 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 do that is is just to think, right, think of your big niche. So I'll give an example from my book. So I um, chose a niche of newly qualified teachers. Um, and for non teaching people, they, that's abbreviated very uh, excitingly to NQTs. So if I say that, that's what I mean to so newly qualified teachers. And I knew that that was a very broad audience. Okay, NQTs, and what they need to know is varied. Um, So, for example, I know that they'd need to know about um, how to communicate effectively with parents. I know that they would need to have good behaviour management. I know that they need to be able to understand planning and assessment and all these other things that, that newly qualified teachers need to know. So basically, I start with a mind map. So I just put, for example, NQT in the middle and then I just brain dumped everything I could that I knew an NQT would want to or need to know in their first year of teaching. Um, and then I looked at them and I thought, OK, which one do I feel the most confident with? And for me, that was behaviour management, because it's just something that I've always found I can do quite well and confidently. And I thought, you know what? Behaviour management in a classroom underpins everything, it underpins the learning, It underpins your relationship with parents and with children. So I thought, do you know what? If I start there with behaviour management, so it was almost going from a big, broad niche of newly qualified teachers to thinking about them as an audience and what they'd need to know and then from all the things that they could need to know I then niched even further down and just focused on behavior management for a whole book Um, and that I think is the way to to do it so you might have several areas that you feel that you could write a book about or that you can talk confidently about and I think it's about about choosing the one that excites you because writing when you're not feeling passionate and excited about the topic is like <laughs> pulling teeth. Um, but also that you can really niche down into it, just one topic and it can cover a whole book. And I think if you try and cover too much in one book, um, too, from too many areas within your your target um, market, your your audience, it just becomes very fluffy and woolly and it's not very detailed and helpful. So um yeah, I think that's the way to start is to, to try and think of the big picture. I call it big picture thinking and then really try and pull out, OK, what, which one of these smaller areas could I focus on? And that's that's quite useful.
0: That's really useful. Thank you so much, because that was something I was wondering whether you go broad and try and cover lots of stuff because, you know, lots of things or whether to go deep on one topic. So that's really useful to know that, because I guess that if there are other topics that interest you and excite you, you can write those books down the line.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I. my other two books for newly qualified teachers uh, are about um, working w- with a teaching assistant, because I know that, that that's quite uh, challenging for some teachers to manage another adult in the classroom. So that, again, is a book in itself. And also the third one is about special educational needs, because I used to be a special educational needs coordinator. So I had that knowledge and I know that that's a very Um, vast field for NQTs to try and wrap their heads around so I was thinking right okay how can I make this this is what you need to know and not to to worry so again it's yeah I just took three smaller areas and made them into three books which is probably why there were only 30,000 words rather than 50 to 75,000 words Um, but actually that worked better because I felt that then that was a very focused uh, topic for people to choose.
0: And I guess it's better as well that a book is as long as it needs to be, because you could have presumably put in an extra 20,000 words, but then it would, it may have just been filler. And I think as a reader, um, I've certainly had the experience of reading a book before where I felt it could have ended three chapters earlier, or -hmm. there was a lot in there that was repetitive, or um, I've certainly... Experience that reading and I'm with you that I think that a book is I guess a book has to be as long as it has to be and there's no point stretching it to meet this word target if the content just doesn't allow for that
1: yeah I think what you what most people tend to find is that they write much more than that to start with but once they've edited and cut things out and, and and that's why an editor is worth their weight in gold is because they look at it from an outside perspective they haven't got that emotional attachment to it because writing a book you do get emotionally attached to your book so it's almost like it's your baby and um, you need someone else's perspective to be like listen I don't think we need that chapter there or you know I think you can cut this out and they're quite ruthless but they're looking at at it in a way to keep it tight and together and not you know a lot of fluff and like you say filler because actually that's what some books are like. But nonfiction is easier to 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 refine, I think, than fiction because fiction is you know it's a very different head on your shoulders than writing nonfiction because you're just trying to give people information, you're just trying to get them from A to B. This is your problem. This is how you can solve it, and this is how you'll be at the end. Essentially, is how a lot of nonfiction is is structured.
0: Okay thank you and um, we will talk a bit more about editors in in a moment so do have a few more questions on them. I'm really interested that you've said that often people write too many words because in my mind I was thinking oh 50,000 words is loads how would you ever write that many words so it's so interesting that in your experience people write way over that. Um, Yeah I'm really that surprised me I have to be honest.
1: Yeah I think what happens is once they um, get into the process because once you get over the hurdle of starting and you actually think to yourself, do you know what, I'm going to write each day and I'm just, what I always advise people to do and what I do myself is I just, I never read what I wrote yesterday because what happens is you then start editing self-editing which is obviously an important part of the process but you never actually move further forward because you then look back at what you did yesterday and you're like oh actually I'm going to rewrite that bit I'm going to rewrite that bit I just plow on I read the last you know bit of the last chapter so I remind myself what I've just said where I'm up to and then I just plow on until I get to the end of my first draft and I never read the whole thing until it's finished um and sometimes that's how that extended amount of writing happens is because people just keep going and keep going and then actually they end up with with more than they thought they would um and then they can cut it down so yeah that's my big tip is never read what you did the day before (laughs) otherwise you end up thinking well just spend a few minutes just you know altering that sentence or and and it's just really then difficult to keep going
0: that That is really interesting. And actually, I have got a, a bit of a writing background. I've worked in various roles where writing was a big part of it. And I remember one thing that I was taught, you know, because not, not everything sticks, but something that really sticks with me is I was always taught not to edit as I went. So to write and then come back and edit because you needed two different lot of mindsets of writing and editing and sure. Yeah, that's something that's always stuck with me is not to sort of write a sentence and then go back and edit it and write another sentence, and go back and edit that. And is that how you would suggest people write as well? Just get oh, the words 100%. out?
1: A hundred percent. I think that's how I started was to, to try and edit as I went and, and I never got anywhere. Uh, so I, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think that the creative um, brain, if you like, has to just be allowed to be creative if you start stepping in with the analytical side of you know your brain and your thoughts then it just interrupts creativity I think if you can just say right okay I know for the next 12 weeks I'm going to just be in creative mode and allow yourself to be in creative mode and I will write things sometimes I think this like this is like just ugh, I hate it but I just keep going I'll just think to myself don't worry about it now I'm going to come back to it with a different head on different hat on where I am in analytical editing mode and and also that space and time away from your first draft those early chapters can do wonders because when you come back to edit them and you haven't seen them for a while you're like oh right I can see exactly what needs to go whereas if you're always right edit right edit you're always so close to the creative process that it's just stifles it and it's it's really hard to get away from it
0: that really makes sense. Thank you. So, is there anything you need to do between choosing your topic and knowing what you're going to write about and actually sitting down and starting writing?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, what I teach um, people to do is uh, it goes, I go from the vision for their book. So, we start off with where, you know, knowing when you want to publish, knowing how you want to publish, knowing who your audience is, who your reader is and the journey you want to take your reader on in a broad sense. So um, without a deadline, I find that people don't accomplish what they want to do. So as part of my role, I, I am a bit of an accountability person. So I'll sort of say to them, look, you know, where are you up to? How are you on that word count? Are you doing think And I, obviously be, deadlines can move and things like that, but I think it's worth before you even start having that umbrella picture of what, um, your deadline is and what your thoughts are because you have to get in with editors pretty early. So you probably need to approach an editor as you're starting to write your first draft really and sort of say, listen, I'm writing, I've got a deadline of this. Have you got any availability? Because sometimes you finish and you're like, oh, I need an editor. And they're like, oh, I can't see you for another couple of months because I've got people on my books and that can be quite frustrating. So I encourage people to think of all the things that they might need, an illustrator for um, cover design, um, and also, if you want anybody to contribute to your book, uh, I recently contributed to somebody's book um, and that she approached me before, you know, just as she was starting and said, listen, I'd love for you to, to write a, a piece in here about, you know, your, your experience of being uh, in teaching. And so she asked me before she'd started. So she knew there were people who were going to be doing certain parts of the book. So it's, it's about having that bigger picture thinking. And then I then go into planning and outlining Um, And I go, like I explained before, that mind map and I just get down all the ideas that I possibly can. Once I've worked out my topic, I do another mind map around my topic and think, right, okay. so for behavior management for newly qualified teachers, what are the things they're going to need to know? And I just dump everything on a piece of paper. Um, And that then helps me look at possible chapters, because I know that, for example, in but in that book I wrote, I, I was talking about well, what is behaviour? Why do children behave in different ways? And so I knew that actually to explain behaviour was going to be important. But I also knew getting a good relationship with parents about behaviour is important for people because if you don't have a good relationship with a parent and you're constantly having to tell them their child isn't behaving very well it can be very stressful. I also knew that another area for that for teachers would be their own mental health and well-being because managing behaviour can have a detrimental effect on on teachers well-being because it's it's hard work uh, managing 30 children. So I sort of thought okay what are my potential chapter headings here and then when I had my chapter headings I then thought okay within that so again like really refining it down so within mental health and well-being, that chapter, what kind of things do I need to talk about? And again, bullet points are just jot down. Okay, they're going to need to know who they can talk to if they're struggling. They're going to need to have some well wellbeing um, habits in place to look after and protect their mental health. They're going to need to know that it's okay to struggle with behaviour management. So it's, it's almost like you go from very big picture and you just keep going down and down and down until you get to your chapters and you think to yourself, okay, what's gonna be in this chapter? And again, you just jot down ideas. Um, And then those ideas tend to be your subheadings. So you'd have a chapter title of mental health and wellbeing for teachers. And then you would have within that, all those things that you thought they'd need to know tend to become your subheadings within your chapter. And then you can flesh out the content of each subheading. And that just means that it goes from this massive 30,000 word thing into being what am I focusing on in this chapter what am I focusing on in under this subheading because then it means that you're just focusing on a chapter you're just focusing on a subheading and it if you just keep doing that eventually those 30,000 50,000 words will come because you're doing those small incremental bits that add up to the whole thing does that, that make sense? sense
0: it makes real sense thank you so much um so yes so you structure it and then you get and then you get writing yeah. so once you've you've written your first draft however long that takes you Mm -hmm. at that point do you edit yourself do you give do you go through and give what you've written a a rough edit or a first edit or I don't know the terminology but
1: yeah yeah no you absolutely 100% go back and self-edit um and part of I'm not an editor so I only have sort of various tips that I tend to give people that I work with um around self-editing um but as a writer I kind of know what sorts of things I would do so I tend to give people that um, advice Um, but self-editing is really important because what tends to happen is a um, an editor will take your work on but if they think actually (laughs) there's so much work to be done they'll probably send it back to you say listen you need to look at this yourself and think about the structure which is why the way I teach it is in a very (laughs) I teach in a very structured way about structure because then it allows people to to uh, to map out and write their book in a way that makes the most sense to the reader and it starts with the introduction to the topic and it ends with the summary and then you know what what they can go on to do next Um, and then if you don't have that structure in place an editor will go back to you and say you know you need to look at your structure so definitely worth self-editing and then an editor will then take it on and, and and work with you to polish it and you know make it as great as it
0: can be yeah thank you for explanation that was going to be my next question actually was exactly what an editor does Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm assuming that editors will sort of have an idea of what if you were going down the publishing route would they have an idea of the kind of thing publishers are looking for in terms of how books are structured or are they mainly looking at the grammar and your spelling and how you've laid things
1: out confusingly there's different types of editors um so what freelance editors tend to do is they'll tend to have different types of editing that they do in a publishing house you have structural editors you have copy editors you have line editors uh you also have people who check it for to make sure that you are um you're not going to offend anybody um, by what you've said and things like that so in a publishing house it's very different it's very controlled but a freelance editor in my experience of working with them is that they will first of all do a structural edit so they'll look at the structure and think does it flow as a whole thing does it make sense the way it's structured from start to finish Um, then they will then do um, like copy edits so they'll look at your your chapters they'll look at your the copy and they'll make suggestions about maybe cutting this bit out. You know, so they look at almost the larger chunks. And then the line editing is when they look at punctuation, grammar, um, and things like that. So it starts off again with a very big view of your book. And then as you go, they'll then refine it down to work. And then they look at the the minute detail.
0: That's really useful. Thank you. And do, does it generally work that they will make some changes and they'll come, as in, today they make suggestions for you to? change things so it's not that yeah. they're necessarily doing it all they they'll come yeah. back to you and say, copy. Thought destruction like this
1: yeah definitely and also with copy they'll say like um so for, so for example I was using quite a lot of terminology in my books that teachers would understand but my editor would say to me I'm not sure what this is because she wasn't a teacher so I was using phrases that teachers would know and she said if if that is what teachers know then leave it in but for her because she wasn't it kind of stuck out as a little bit odd and then when I said to her oh no that's the term that we use in teaching she was like, oh then that's fine just leave it in so they won't ever change your book for you they will just go away and say these are my suggestions um and essentially if you're self-publishing it's up to you whether you take their suggestion um a little bit different in traditional publishing but in 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 the self-publishing work if if you feel really strongly about keeping something that they think you should get rid of essentially it's your decision at the end of the day because if you want it in there it's your book then then you can keep it in. they'll only make suggestions they wouldn't say to you you yeah, you have to take this out they would just suggest uh, you know options that you could consider
0: okay thank you and this is probably a good point to ask actually so what do you believe are the what are the differences between publishing traditionally and self-publishing and and what are the benefits of, of each would you say
1: um well traditionally published work is still um kind of the pinnacle um i've self-published all my non-fiction uh, oh, and well i had a, a publisher for the the ghostwriting stuff but obviously because it's not my name I, I tend to forget about that um but with in terms of tr- for my children's book for me um traditionally published is like the pinnacle that's the the the, the achievement so it just depends on you personally traditionally published you get um obviously all the, the marketing team behind you um you get you work with an editor the difference is that when you approach a traditional publisher they will not ask to read your manuscripts they want you to pitch an idea and that's what some people get confused about, because in fiction, you have to submit your first three chapters and a synopsis of your story. And then they'll consider whether they want to read the rest. In nonfiction, they will um, they ask you to pitch just the outline and the overall idea of your book. They don't want to read the actual manuscript. So if you do want to go down traditional publishing route, I would pitch first before you write anything, because what they'll do is they'll say, yes, we like that. And then they'll commission you to write it. So don't feel like you have to have a book ready if you want to go down the traditional route. But as I said before, they are looking for people who have an audience to sell to because there's just not the money in publishing anymore to take on somebody who's an unknown. So, you know, if you've got, you know, 20,000 followers or something on social and you've got a huge email list of thousands of people, they'll probably listen to you. If you're somebody who's only got a few hundred followers, a few hundred people on your email list, it's unlikely that they would be interested, unless you've got a very unique twist to your tale, whether, you know, I'm going to use stupid, but whether you're a celebrity, if you're a celebrity, you can go to a publisher and be like, oh, you know, I'd like to publish a book. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, that they'll, they'll think of it differently. So it's just about whether you've got the audience essentially. Um, Self-publishing, you get more royalties if you self-publish, so you get more money per book sold. Uh, Traditional publishing, you have to um, pay, they'll pay you in advance for your book. So say, for example, £20,000, you then have to pay that back to them before you start to see any royalties. So it can be a long time before you start to see any money coming in from your work. Um, So that's something also to consider. Self-publishing, you get Uh, royalties immediately so if you publish to Amazon Amazon keep a percentage as their fee if you like for putting it up there because it's free to publish on Amazon but they keep it um, as part of your selling um, profits and then uh, you then get a much better return on um, your royalties than you do traditionally. Um, It's a difficult one because if you haven't got, if you've got money to spend, um, you need to put money if you're self-publishing aside for your editor, for a cover designer, for somebody to format it for Kindle, unless you're somebody who's good at formatting, which I was not, so I, I got somebody to to format it for me, uh, so you're having to outlay a lot more when you self-publish, um, when you're traditionally published, they'll pay for all that for you, so you don't have to consider that, but you don't get the return unless you're somebody of massive following
0: okay that's really helpful thank you and so what kind of cost are you looking at to self-publish your own book and again i know that this probably varies greatly um but i guess just a ballpark would be sort of useful for, for people listening
1: i would say um to be on the safe side i would probably put away between 500 to a thousand pounds to publish because an editor, a good editor, a good editor, and and they are worth their weight in gold, I will say that. And it's worth paying for somebody who has that experience because you won't believe the difference from what you give them and what it comes out like. It's just incredible. Um, So, yeah, they're normally five to six hundred pounds. Uh, might be more. Um, and then you've got the cost of a cover designer is a couple of hundred pounds for design work. So, yeah, maybe you're looking more towards the thousand pound mark um, to have uh, ready. Some people publish without an editor and some people publish without a cover designer. That's kind of why self-publishing has had a bit of a bad rap over the the last 10 years or so is because people are not putting out quality stuff. So it's just about trying to be as professional as you can be and thinking if this was traditionally published through a publishing house you know it's going to look a certain way so you want to aim for it to look as good as you know or near enough as it would as if it was traditionally published so that you've got credibility.
0: That's really helpful and where would you go about finding editors and copy designers or illustrators or or whatever you you need to sort of to actually bring your book to life where do you go about finding these people
1: um sometimes it comes from recommendations so if you know other people who've done self-publishing um then you I always say go with recommendations like with anything really isn't it that um if you know that someone speaks highly of an editor um you can look on social on instagram I um I'm friends with quite a few editors and things like that there are a lot of people out there um and again it's like when choosing to to buy any kind of service you need to look at their reviews and um and see what people are saying um and the same with cover designers there are loads and what i love about it is there's loads of small businesses you can support by going and finding freelance editors and freelance cover designers and the fact that you know you've got someone else a little bit of business out of what you're trying to do as well I think I love that aspect of it yeah. um so yeah that that would be my suggestion is try and find somebody's who gone there before I've got people that that I know so you know people are always welcome to ask me um if they want some advice on who to go to um so yeah that would be my suggestion
0: that's really helpful thank you so let's say you've written your book it's been edited professionally and you've got a cover design. Um, so I guess you're almost there at that point
1: yeah you are yeah and the the step then um probably before you you sort of upload it if you're going to self-publish would be to get a, a few beta readers in um to read it first and give you some feedback because there's you can't detach yourself from it very easily you're so close to it because you're writing it um like the editor has that kind of Bird's eye view. If you can find some readers, it might even just be friends and family who can read it. And if they're going to be good, honest uh, feedback. Uh, people then go to them you want people who are who aren't just going to go oh well done that's really lovely you want people who are going to say oh I didn't really understand that bit or I think that bit's not as clear because you can get that feedback and you can ask your you know you can ask your audience if you've got um, you know, people in your audience who might want to read and give you some feedback um, you know if you're feeling brave it just depends but I do think before you hit publish do send it out to some readers first and get some feedback. And if, there are, if there's something that comes up from everybody that they say this chapter and everyone brings up the same chapter as an issue, then maybe you need to look at it again. Um, but it might just be that some people might say things and you think, oh, thanks very much, but I'm happy with it as it is. But it is definitely worth getting your beta readers lined up as well.
0: Great, thank you. And then uh, mm. what are the final few steps you need to do in, then to get it published?
1: you need to think about your marketing um and I think what people forget is everyone's a bit nosy aren't they we all like to to know what's going on and if you can take your your audience on that on your writing journey with you by the time you come to publish and sell your book they're chomping at the bit so don't tell them about it once you've published it Bring them along on on the journey um, and talk to them about it. And and I often say, you know, if you've got a cover design, put it out on a poll on on Instagram and say, what are are we thinking? What are we voting here? So that they feel part of it. Because then when it does come out, they are going to want to buy it immediately because they feel like they've been part of the journey of you writing it. So marketing it, you need to think of in advance. Start to think, okay, if my deadline's this, when do I need to start talking about writing my book? you know, go behind the scenes, you know, have pictures of you writing, all that kind of thing that gets your audience kind of primed and ready to buy from you. Um, and it's, your your beta readers can give you reviews. Um, so if you can get some reviews early on for your book, that's, that's going to be really, really helpful. Um, and you'll need to consider that post-publication is how are you going to get as many reviews as you can? Because Amazon's kind of algorithm is to, to promote and get people to see books with lots of reviews um, so you you want to get as many reviews as you can so again you're going to want to approach your audience and say oh if you read my book you know it'd be great if you could leave me a review and I read a, a coaching book recently and I commented on Facebook on the author and I said oh I really enjoyed your book and she goes oh, thank you have you left me a review you know and it was it's fine I don't mind because I'm an author I know how important it is so, and I said yeah I had um, and she was like oh thank you so much so Just be cheeky. Ask people, you know, if they've read your book. Say, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Have you left me a review? Because That would be really helpful. And people are more than willing to do that. So, yeah, the the sort of post publication, sometimes you feel like when it goes out into the world, you can sit back and think, oh, I've done it. But actually, you know, you've got some work to do around uh, marketing it once it's ready and, and out there.
0: Yeah the authors that we've had on the show so far actually talk a lot about how they're constantly marketing their you know just continually continually marketing their books and I guess that's something that you need to just stay on top of and be doing consistently um so yeah adding getting your book on Amazon is a bit that I'm very comfortable with because Amazon is completely within my comfort zone is that where you recommend everyone would would yeah. publish their book and I think oh sorry come on I was going to ask do you recommend um you know, publishing an ebook or a or a physical hardcover book as well, because I guess that you know they're two entirely different things, aren't they? The, I mean, getting an ebook together is one thing, but actually having something physical with pages is entirely different.
1: Yeah, I think um, your first question around Amazon, I think that's a place to start for sure. There are smaller um, self-publishing places um, like Kobo, um, Smashwords, they're smaller Apple uh, books and things that you can upload to. But I think sometimes when this is your first one, too many options can feel a little bit overwhelming. So I think Amazon's your best place to start. The other thing to consider, which I haven't done, but I've often thought about is an audio version because um, you can record yourself reading your book. And that's another way to get people to to listen and to, your, to your work. So, I, you know, that might be something to consider. Um, and then your the second part of your question, which I now can't remember. <laughs> Sorry,
0: I was asking whether you recommend doing a physical hardback oh, yes. version yeah. of your book as well.
1: Again, it's dependent. Amazon make it really easy for you. So they do like drop shipping um, for physical books. So my books are both um, in Kindle form and um, in in paperback. Um, and what happens if someone can order it as a paperback and Amazon prints it, send it to them on your behalf. So you never actually have to see any um, inventory. Right? You know, you haven't got a whole box of books in your, you know, in your loft or whatever. You've got um, Amazon do that as part of um, publishing with them. So if you do want... Um, physical copies is really easy. Um, It just depends on, I would have both because people are, some people like to read on Kindle, other people prefer a physical book. Um, And if you are going and doing talks um, and you're going to events, hopefully once um, COVID's finished, (laughs) if you're going and you're talking at an event, having some physical copies to sell there is a, is a great way to, to kind of show off your work. So it's up to you as, a, as, a, as an individual, but I would recommend having both because it then gives your, your readers more of a choice.
0: Thank you and I'll be honest I mean I'm really aware of the Amazon print on demand service I don't know if I've ever seen a book that's been printed on demand because as a consumer you just I assume you don't know um but that's kind of what my question is about actually is is it good quality I'm really curious to know if Amazon print a book for you is it the quality that you'd expect it to be?
1: Yeah they give you quite a lot of options in terms of that whether you want the cover to be glossy or matte you know it's it's you you do have quite a lot of input into how it is you get to choose the page color um the font and and everything so it's um it's the my books are i i think they look lovely the only way you can <clears throat> excuse me is no is if if there's a there's no publisher on the spine so if somebody was really being pernickety about it and wanted to know whether it was traditional or self-published they would they could easily identify that it isn't um traditional but I think if you've got an audience and you've got people who want to read your work, they don't care. No, nice. um, it's, it's more often us that care. Like there are people who they don't think that you should self-publish. They think that the, the only way to be really successful is to be traditionally published. And and that's fine. But I think actually your readers, your audience, they just want to read your stuff. They're not going to, they're not going to, if you've got some fans, you've got loyal followers. Um, yeah. They just want to read it. And and I think that's the least of their concerns is how it's done. If they know that you're somebody who's you know going to give them good quality stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess what I was just just bit trying to be clear on is that when you do the print on spine, you know, this actually looks good quality. It looks like a proper. Book, um, yeah. which that I know that it sounds like such maybe a silly question, but um I guess that that's I think that's the only really criteria, isn't it? That it looks like a book; it doesn't look like some pages that've been stapled together from whatever. No. So that's yeah. so. No, that sounds that sounds um, brilliant in that case, and yeah, definitely worth doing. And does it take long? I, I, I realize I'm asking you lots of technical questions now, but I'm quite just quite interested. So, does it take long to have a book printed and, and shipped on demand?
1: No no it's it's that they just do it super quick i I mean i've I've never even considered how long it but it's almost as if if it was a normal book it's just done and and out there they must have i don't know how many machines printing things off it must be insane but um yeah it's all very quick just like a regular book you know i don't think people um consider it because when i look on amazon at mine um because i'm a prime member it always says can be delivered tomorrow so That is
0: amazing because I do remember being told and bearing in mind, this is, uh, this is, you know, at least a year or so ago. I've definitely been told in the past that, Oh, you know, I'm not doing print on demand because it takes a long time. So it definitely sounds like they've made some changes and that isn't the case anymore, which I think is good because it makes having a, printed book much more accessible because you know if having to find a, a printer and order hundreds of books is possibly a step too far because you know it's a, it's a lot to do and then obviously there's that extra additional upfront cost that you have to pay as well and I appreciate that there'll be a cost for having your book printed on demand but at least you've sold the book yeah which makes such yeah. a difference um it makes it a lot less of a gamble I guess as well you know if, if you don't sell hundreds of them well you've obviously had your initial outlay but you're not paying a you know you're not paying to have boxes of books sat in your garage
1: or your loft or whatever yeah Yeah, for sure
0: okay well thank you so much um and thank you for explaining the process I think that's made it so much simpler and yeah demystified a lot of it as well for me at least and I hope for everyone else um but I would love to know before we finish Steph, what your number one advice or tip would be for someone looking to self-publish their book I think we'll stick with self-publishing because I do think that for most listeners that would probably be the route they'd be going down what would be your number one tip whether it's around starting how to keep going (laughs) um yeah it's a
1: good question I think what underpins everything for me is why you're writing it Um, it's about really digging down and thinking you know not, I would say I've never met anybody who sits down to to write because they want to make X amount of pounds from from selling their books. I don't think, um, I don't think those people ever finish because it's you you have to write from a place of what you're trying to do to serve the people that you're writing for. Um, and if you feel very passionately about those people, um, and the change you can make, the transformation that they can go through by reading, that spurs you on. If you sit down and think, well, I'd love to be able to sell you know, 5,000 copies of a book or it, it's not the same. It's yes, it's, that's a measurable thing to think about once you've published, but actually you've got to dig deep into why you're writing it. And don't feel like if you are not, if don't feel like you should write because sometimes people think, well, I, oh gosh, maybe I should write a book actually you, you shouldn't write a book if, if it's not something that you actually want to do. So don't feel that oh, lots of other people I know are writing books. Maybe I should write one. You've got to write one because A, you want to, but B, because there's, there's something in there. There's a gap that you feel like, you know, you're going to fill with this work or that when you work with, with clients that they are always saying to you, Oh gosh, I really struggle with this. And it keeps cropping up and it keeps cropping up and you think, okay, well, there's, that could be a topic for a book there. Um, and I could then help those people. So, yeah, that's I guess that's my tip is just to kind of really engage with why you want to write um, and and just feel as though think of the one person. Don't try and write for everybody because you write for nobody. You know, think of one person and think about the change that you can make for them. And for me, that I knew that my reader was a teacher who didn't know how to manage a class and it was causing them anxiety at the start of my book. Um, They were feeling worried about it. And I knew that if I could just get one person to go into a classroom full of 30 children and feel confident to manage their behaviour, that that was all I I needed um, to kind of just think, yeah, I want that person to be confident. I want them to stand in front of the class and feel as though they've got control. Um, And that's what spurred me to write it, really, not thinking about, you know, all the other stuff that comes with it.
0: That's amazing. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you for everything that you've shared. Um, Yeah, you've given us so much and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're very
1: welcome.
0: Hi, thank you so much for listening. As always, I would absolutely love to know what you thought of this episode. Please do remember to rate and view the show and also, most importantly, subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And as a reminder, I release a new episode every single Friday. So take care and look forward to speaking to you again then.